And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender. With me, as always, is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. Buenas noches. Hey. How's it going? going? Ooh, we said that, said that at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Pinch poke, you owe me a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> oh, I don't know about all that. I gotta, I cling on to these things, see? <laughs> Yeah, because they're so hard to get at the at the local grocery chain. Dude, the Albertsons that's here is always out, and I have to go to the Targito to get one. Oh wow, weird! I know it's so frustrating because I like I've been having groceries delivered for like the last like two years now, <laughs> and uh, they never have the Dr Pepper. Maybe they're hoarding it because they know that you drink it so much. They're like, we don't like this guy. <laughs> I know. You know, I didn't really drink it until I quit drinking the energy drinks. Then, mm. it, then it kind of it substituted it. It's like a nicotine patch, basically, for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the gum. You chew yeah, it. <laughs> you chew it. Yeah. No, totally, 100%. I, I never drank so much soda before, but now that I'm off of the energy drinks over a year now, it's uh, it's uh, become my substitute. Nice. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, how are things? Pretty good for the most part. A um, little under the weather, but that's okay. That's uh, drink, drinking a good LaCroix here. LaCroix is kind of my thing. Like, I don't want to, I don't drink alcohol every night, nor am I an alcoholic, but I like to have something to sip on if I'm playing a video game or doing something like this instead of a beer, you know? Yeah. Save that beer for the weekends. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to the weekend, weekend. Exactly. Friday. Friday. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So what have you been watching? I watched the new uh, Adam McKay film, Don't Look Up, and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was also utterly terrifying at the same time, and I won't spoil it or anything. Um, I definitely think you should watch it. I'm curious on what you'll think of it, but are you a fan of Adam McKay's work? Yeah. Okay, I, I think you'll like it a lot. Um, you're going to you're gonna be upset, too. Or not, not upset, but you're just going to be like, what the fuck? Do so. they not look up, or do they look up? I can't spoil it for you. What so, happens if they do look up? I just looked up right now. <laughs> whoa. You just that was basically the whole premise of the movie. He ruined it. And then I watched the new Jane Campion um, film, The Power of the Dog. And she did uh, the piano and some other films. So, she, you know, she's won some Oscars. She's a New Zealand filmmaker. She's awesome. But uh, it's this movie with Benedict Eggs, Eggs Benedict Cucumberbatch. He plays a, a cowboy in Montana, 1925. And Jesse Plemons is in it. Kirsten Dunst, Cody Smith McPhee. Um, it is a Western, but like an anti-Western, but... <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to describe it. Um, I don't think you would like it. I was bored. The second half definitely flounders. Um, but it was one of those films that I was like, what? So I re I went on to YouTube and watched some videos on it and I appreciate it more. It's a beautifully shot film uh, composed incredibly. And the score is done by Johnny Greenwood from um, Radiohead. So Johnny be good. Yeah, there you go. It's <laughs> it's your brother. It's your cousin. <laughs> Marvin or whatever he says. Yeah. Marvin Barry. Marvin Barry. Listen to this. 
So uh, Johnny Greenwood, yeah, of Radiohead does the score. And he also did the score for There Will Be Blood. So it is fantastic. Oh, a lot of strings, okay. a lot of eeriness. And yeah, yeah it's it's pretty freaking awesome. So if anybody. I, I hate that movie, by the way. You don't like There Will Be Blood? I oh, my God. I love that. Movie. Everyone thinks it's so great. And I, oh, am, I, fucking I am love bored it. out of my mind in that movie. Then do not watch The Power of the Dog. You will not like it. Can't do it. <laughs> so, what did you watch? Uh, what did I watch? I watched Everybody Loves Raymond. I'm kind of powering through that. That's my my new binge show as I'm taking care of the baby. And then uh, Interstellar for the billionth trillionth time. <laughs> Still don't like it. Uh, <laughs> there's got to be something there. I like the music. I like the concept. Just hate the execution. Um, I watched My Cousin Vinny. I love that. And I love then, that movie. Um, last night I watched Road Trip. And I fucking love that movie so much. I'm just a sucker for Todd Phillips, man. The Utes. The Utes? What are the Utes? You know, the Utes. <laughs> yeah. What is a Ute? What is a Ute? Yeah, that movie's funny. I love my cousin Vinny. Yeah, Road Trip is really good, too. Did you kill a cheetah? Yeah. <laughs> a pointer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, and I know all the music in that movie, too. It's so funny. I'm just like, oh, that's on my phone. That's on my phone. That's on my phone. <laughs> I, I always quote um, the line when he gets the powdered sugar on his thing. And I'm like, you know, my mom says I can't have too much sugar. So <laughs> right. I say that all the time to people when they're like asking about a dessert. I'm like, I don't know. My, my, my mom says I can't have too much sugar. <laughs> so. Yeah. I we Me and Dave always quote um, uh, Tom Green's character. Like, we'll be like is he going to fucking eat him? Or yeah. we'll say, unleash the fury. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Unleashed the Fury was my pre-sweet muffin. You know, I used you to always say he unleashes the Fury, and in reference to that. But now it's, it goes down like a sweet muffin. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Yeah, busy little bee, and that, most of those are all watched in the last twenty-four hours. So, so uh, busy little bee on the uh, on the movie watching. Dang, very yeah. cool. I know. So this week, we are going to do a fun one. We're going to do Copland. And as I was watching it, I just kept singing it to the tune of the 66 Batman. Uh, like, Batman. But I was going, Copland. Copland. <laughs> 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 but what's funny about that, it, well, I mean, I think it's funny. Most people hate it. But I add the word the to it. So like when I'm singing uh, the Batman, instead of just going, Batman, Batman, I'm going, the Batman, the Batman, <laughs> the Batman. And then at the end, I add there to it. So I'm like, when it's like, da 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 the Batman there <laughs> <laughs> drives Alex crazy town banana pants. And uh, I was doing it with the Copland and and it was fun. <laughs> why, why doesn't that surprise me? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just got like, you know, Freddie on the screen. He's just like all dim-witted and I'm just like, the Copland. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm going to get an animoji now of you doing that. So. Oh, man. <laughs> Maybe if you're lucky, play your cards right. You'd be so lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and so I walked into his office and I saw this thing, and it's so small. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> if it were not, be a shuffle. Um. So I don't. I don't go to your office and tell you how to make burgers. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, this film was written and directed by James Mangold, who you might know from The Girl Interrupted, there, Three Ten to Yuma, Walk the Line. Logan and Ford v. Ferrari. Got some good ones. 
You don't keep a Ferrari in the garage, <laughs> as they say. Yeah. Uh, the cast includes one Sly Stallone, Harvey Keitel, Ray Liotta, Robert De Niro, a.k.a. Bobby D, Peter Berg, Pistol Pete, Janine Garoppolo, Malik Yoba, Robert Patch. Oh, you know who he is? You know who Malik Yoba is? He's Yul mm-hmm. Brenner from Cool Runnings. Yeah, exactly. You got uh, T-1000, you got Robert Patrick, Michael Rappaport, Annabelle Sciorra, who was in The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, which is my grandmother's favorite movie of all time. Uh, right up there with Gone with the Wind. <laughs> two, wow. <laughs> two very different motion picture shows. That's my grandma's favorite movies. And John Spencer. And uh, there you have it. The critical reception isn't terribly kind. It was uh, 76 on the old tomato meter there, which is certified fresh, I suppose. But the audience score was only 67 which I find interesting. And I have a possible theory, but we can get into that later. Uh, Jack Kroll from Newsweek says, Mangold is something of a pseudo-Scorsese. Ouch. I hate comparing people, (laughs) but whatever. (laughs) I'm kind of like a pseudo-Justin Cavender. You are, and I can appreciate that. (laughs) Imitation is, is a most sincere form of flattery, as they say. You're the after photo. I'm the before. I'm chubby. <laughs> it works out fine. Yeah. Um, let's see. Paul Tatara from CNN.com says, it's pretty funny, actually, that Stallone gained 40 pounds to play this role. And what the movie needs is more than any, what the movie needs more than anything else is uh, to eat a salad and do some sit-ups. Wow. I don't know what that means. That's really rude in a, weird, know. <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> I know. So is this one. David Edelstein from Slate says, Copland shares this leading man's slow-wittedness, but also his likability. So whatever that means. <laughs> People are crazy. Mangold. Oh, so this is Owen Gleiberman from Entertainment Weekly, the EW. He says, Mangold certainly knew what he was doing when he cast Keitel and De Niro. Yeah. Oh, here's a here's a fun one. One last one. Uh, Lee Pasht from Herald Sun says, "A haunting and decidedly downbeat police drama. Copland marks one of the few times anyone could see fit to sing Sly's praises." Where yeah. are these written? <laughs> these are mean people. They're very mean. This must be when like blogging was new and everyone had an opinion and they went on the internet. And- Creed thoughts backslash. <laughs> yeah, I wrote mean stuff. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, boy. Not a so, fan of that. There you have it. The budget was fifteen million dollars, which is incredibly low for this kind of star power. Uh gross United States at forty four point eight million. Opening weekend was August seventeenth, nineteen ninety seven. It brought in thirteen point five million. And worldwide the numbers are the same at forty four point eight million dollars. So, Sylvester Stallone gained 40 pounds to add realism to his portrayal of the sheriff, like you said earlier. Uh, He also was only paid the SAG minimum wages. By the time the reshoots were required, he had lost the weight. Actually, all the actors and actresses in the film work for scale due to the film's budget. So that is really interesting because you have some A-list stars here who are just working for scale. That's pretty cool. Yeah, especially since this was um, Mangold's second film. Mm-hmm. That's a I, uh, pretty I like big it. ask. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's a good testament. Uh, there is a disclaimer at the end of the credits which states, this film is a work of fiction. It is currently illegal for New York City police officers to live outside of the state of New York. 
Originally, Ray Liotta wanted the role of Sheriff Freddie Heflin, while Sylvester Stallone wanted the role of Gary Figsy Figs. Uh, the town of Garrison, New Jersey does not exist, but was based on and shot in the northern New Jersey towns of Fort Lee and Edgewater. And then finally, the pinball machine Freddie is playing in the bar is Lethal Weapon 3 by Data East. That's interesting. Yeah. That's the one about gun control. <laughs> yeah. It's all crazy. You get that um, son of a bitch. So. I don't know if so. One of those trivia comments was something about it's currently illegal for New York police officers to live outside the state of New York. I don't know if that's still true or if this ever yeah. was true. I just copy and pasted from trivia. It was printed on the Internet, and I don't know if it's really true. Any of our New York fans, go ahead and hit us up on Twitter and let us know, <laughs> especially if you're a New York police officer. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a I'm hoot. curious. I know, right? Well, here's a synopsis for anyone who hasn't seen uh, Copland. Oh, the real Copland. quick, yeah. real quick. It is streaming on HBO Max. Yeah, that's that what is we how we watched it. it. Yes, I own it because I bought it a long time ago because I wanted to watch it. So oh. it is also Does streaming it say on Zach's account. Really big on the DVD box. No, yeah, it's one of those what, those boxes you got to open on the side, and it's like a paper. <laughs> it's, a it's a paper. Yeah, <laughs> remember those? Yeah, I remember yeah. those. My taxi and, uh, driver is like that. It has a widescreen and a full screen version, so there's no label art on the disc. You flip it one side. Yeah, that's <laughs> always cool the worst, man. I, when it's I, like... I never, I never knew which way to flip it. I'm like, does it this says, denote? <laughs> it says it's really tiny. No, I know, but like if I read it looking up, does it mean the thing down below is the oh, white yeah, screen yeah, or do yeah. I have to flip it over? <laughs> I think it's got to be up. <laughs> yeah, there you Side go. Side up that you want to watch. It's like plugging in a USB. So yeah. the town of Garrison, New Jersey is home to several corrupt NYPD officers. Leader, the audacity. The audacity. Sorry. Leader Lieutenant Ray Donlin, along with Jack Rucker, Gary Figs, and it's Joey Darius Ray. Darius Rucker. He's the lead to Hoodie and the Blowfish. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm hopped up on the sugar. I done told you. <laughs> and Joey R- Randone, who is having an affair with Donlin's wife, Rose. Freddie Heflin, the town sheriff, idolizes the NYPD, and he had once hoped to become an NYPD officer. But he ultimately could not because of his deafness in one ear, the result of rescuing a drowning woman many years earlier. Heflin is aware that Donlin and his associates are involved in police corruption, but he generally turns a blind eye to it as the NYPD officers do not recognize his authority. Internal Affairs Investigator Lieutenant Moe Tilden approaches Heflin for information on the corrupt officers, but Heflin is intimidated by them and reluctant to betray them. One night, Donlin's nephew, Officer Murray Babich, is sideswiped by two African-American teens while driving across the George Washington Bridge. The passenger points what looks like a weapon at Babich just before Babich's tire blows out. Believing they have fired at him, Babbitt shoots back and kills the teens. Afterward, Rucker removes the steering wheel lock that Babbitt mistook for a weapon from the scene, but he is caught trying to plant a gun in the car. Worried about the repercussions to his own career, Donlin persuades Babbitt to fake his own suicide. When Heflin visits Tilden in New York City to share information, he is angrily dismissed by Tilden, who explains that the investigation has been shut down. On his way out, Heflin steals case files on the garrison cops and realizes to the extent of the officer's corruption. As Babich lives a, as a fugitive at Donlin's home, Vincent Lasaro, president of the Patrolman's Defense Association, tells Donlin that without a body, the case will not stay cold. Uh, Donlin reluctantly decides to murder Babich. Randone's wife, Liz, the woman Heflin saved from drowning years ago, visits Heflin at his home. While Liz and Heflin confess their feelings for each other, she reluctantly leaves before things go too far. Meanwhile, Babich escapes a murder attempt by Donlin after being tipped off by Rose, and he eventually goes to Heflin's house for help, but flees when he sees Figs. 
Later the same evening, Randone ends up in trouble. Donlin is the first to arrive on scene, but he deliberately delays intervention in revenge for Randone's affair with Rose, leading to the former's death. Heflin finds Figus... Ah, Heflin finds Figs packing to leave Garrison, discovering that Figs has burned down his own house for the insurance money and inadvertently killed his drug-addicted girlfriend in the process. Heflin convinces Rose to reveal Babbage's hideout and takes him into custody. Donlin's team ambushes them, firing a pistol next to Heflin's good ear and deafening him, and they kidnap Babbage. On foot, Heflin follows them to Donlin's house, where a shootout begins. Eventually joined by Figs, they kill Donlin, Rucker, and the other corrupt officers. Heflin and Figs take Babbage to New York City and hand him over to Tilden. After the scandal has been investigated, Heflin, with the, with the hearing in his good ear restored, surveys the New York City skyline from across the Hudson River and returns to work in Garrison. And that is a hefty plot, I tell you. Holy yeah, shit. there's a lot going on. <laughs> you have to reread that like six times before you actually get it. <laughs> yeah, a lot, of, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have you. It's a bit of a thinker. Yeah. So when did you first see Copland and what were your first impressions? So this was on my Netflix train where I was renting the DVDs with both sides with the widescreen and the full screen. And I think it was around 2005. So I was in high school and such um, or graduate high school. Um, And I I think I liked it, you know, uh, but I I appreciated it way more uh, in further viewings. That's why I bought it, because I just remember um, I've seen it subsequent times since then and i really enjoy it um this last viewing same kind of thing i really enjoyed the hell out of it if if not more than before but yeah i I wanted to be a cop back in the day so i was trying to soak up as much you know fictional police uh film making magic that i could grab and so netflix had it and i remember hearing things about it i remember seeing the movie trailer for it a long time ago and i had no idea i had no idea stallone was quote-unquote fat in it so um but yeah, it's been quite a while since I've seen it. Cool. I actually saw it opening day. <laughs> Why doesn't that surprise me? <laughs> I know. This is one of those movies where me and my buddy Brian Gregory went every Friday to go to the motion picture show. And at that same theater where that lady was giving me a hard time about the price going up. Oh, yeah. I come here every week. Wait a minute now. I come here every week. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> Uh, well, cool. Yeah, I, I really liked it. I was a sucker for, um, you know, cop and crime movies. You know, you knew that I'm, I was big on like the mob movies and this very much felt like a mob movie, especially when you saw something like Scorsese um, actors in this film. Oh, totally. Like Edie Falco was in it, too. Was in the yeah. Sopranos. I mean, like <laughs> so many actors. You go down the list of them. You're yeah. like, oh, my God, he was in Casino. He was in Goodfellas. He was in uh, Sopranos, like Frank Vincent, you know, John yeah. Spencer, all these people that had bit roles in it. And you're just like, Jesus Christ. Right, right. <laughs> I and then even even this. with obviously with De Niro and Ray Liotta coming off of, um, you know, Goodfellas in 90, 1990. So mm-hmm. Yeah, whenever that was 91. I don't remember. But yeah, 100 percent is good. Is a stacked cast for sure. 100%. Uh, now, we like James Mangold, but can you identify a signature in his filmmaking? Does he have a style that lets viewers know they are watching a Mangold film? It's, you know, this one's difficult because I don't know if he necessarily has a, an exact style. But let me kind of rephrase that. He does in certain films and then other ones, they're so nuanced that it's just like his own thing. So I don't think I could point any one of his films out from like a police lineup like I could for a Fincher film or a Tarantino film. Mm-hmm. But when it does happen, I am very much like, okay, yeah, I could totally see that. This is James Mangold. That makes so much sense. 
But some of the things that I've noticed, um, he really likes showing the the down and out hero making a triumphant comeback. And I, that's more that's more a love letter to his his passion about Westerns. He's, he's very good at making like a, a, a neo Western. So three ten of Yuma, which is a Western Copland, I would consider like a, a neo Western and same thing with Logan. Um, that definitely was one. I mean, there was a lot of influence from the movie Shane in that film. So he did those three films uh, in a very particular way, which was so well done. Um, he does other films like I never saw heavy, but I, I I've heard um, and, and read things on it about um, that and Girl Interrupted kind of dealing with more of the psyche and things like that as as a thriller. Walk the Line was a fantastic uh, biopic. I I love that immensely. Same thing with Ford v. Ferrari where you get action in it too. But um, yeah, he he definitely has a way about him. And movies like Identity too, that was another one. Awesome concept. It kind of floundered towards the end there, but I really enjoyed what he was doing. But that movie, I definitely... There's no way identity. I never would have known Mangold um, had had directed it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He, he's also not really afraid of killing off main characters um, in some of his films. And he does it in this kind of uh, grittiness, you know? So like Freddy, he gets his ear basically shot and he's he, he you think he's going to die. Then he gets shot in the shoulder. You're like, oh, my God, is he going to die? Uh, Dan in 310 Yuma gets killed. Spoiler. Um, so and then Logan gets killed. So he, whoa, he whoa. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Calm down. Yeah. cowboy. He's he, he he's OK with doing that. I think that goes more into the Western genre, though. Um, but he does have a way. We talked about all the fantastic actors in this. He has a way to draw out these amazing performances from almost everybody in his films The the one gripe I do have about this movie is Janine Garofalo. I don't think she was very good, nor did she really serve a purpose, in my opinion. I, I think they could have gotten somebody different or just completely wiped her from it, and we still would have got the whole package. Well, she's the out-of-towner that sees the problem and, and looks at crime as black and white and doesn't care that the person that is speeding is a police officer. You I know understand. what I mean? So she's, yeah, no. she's supposed to be the grounded one in this city of chaos. She just didn't do anything for me with her performance. Mm-hmm. It just seemed so kind of eh. it was it was it was there and then it was gone sort of. So, I mean, I get why, but I, I think we still could have. We could have we could have been able to do that in a different way. I mean, just in my opinion, but I don't that's why I don't make movies. So, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, I mean, he, I, I for his style. I don't know if he necessarily has a style. I'm really intrigued because he's going to do Indiana Jones five if that ever comes out. But um, I don't know how he's going to do that. Is he going to kill Indy? In a, in a cool fashion. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So I had made a couple of notes and that he likes the old guy. So Copland Freddy is an older cop. Uh, yeah. 310 to Yuma. Dan Evans is an old cowboy. Logan, the old mutant. Uh, and Ford V Ferrari. Ken Miles is an older race car driver. He's like 48. Mm-hmm. Um, Indiana Jones 5 is going to be old man Harrison Ford. He's been old since we were kids. And so <laughs> and, and, you know, we talked about this on Geek Legacy that that Mangle doesn't mind killing off his hero. And I'm like. Get ready, Randy, because Dr. <laughs> Jones ain't going to make it. <laughs> and so he got the mangle at the helm. That means this dude's going hes going down like a sweet muffin. Yeah, and, um, I, I think that's probably pretty accurate, honestly. And I think Randy's okay with that. He's come to terms with it. Is he wants him to go out like in a blaze of glory, saving the world kind of thing. He'll he be dies right in the first it. 10 minutes. He dies off screen. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> oh, so, boy. Yeah, I'm just... curious. So it, it, for me, I, I also could not identify a, a signature style, only uh, just sort of signature themes. And that being with, you know, the 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 older 
aging hero uh, having one last shot, you know? Yeah, I think that goes into his more modern Western um, take on, on, on things. I mean, obviously, 310 to Yuma is a Western, but Logan and Copland could easily be argued as Westerns. And that's how I could see them totally mm-hmm. um, with, you know, Copland being with some mob mobster gangster film thrown in there, too. But, you know, this sheriff that seems down on his ass and no one respects him and you got these outlaws running around town and then he gets pushed to the brink and realizes he needs to do the right thing, even if it's a suicide mission. So, right. I think it's we've seen that in all in all three of those films we just talked about. Yeah. Agreed. So Robert De Niro, he has less than 15 minutes of screen time in this movie. <laughs> not, and that's not counting the voiceover during the opening credits. That's like a good, whatever, 30 seconds. But uh, he's actually only in seven scenes. Uh, was that enough? Is this a classic undersell? Did you want more Bobby D in this motion picture show? And how do you rate his performance? Yeah, I mean, I think it was plenty. Like this cast was was packed, right? And so, or it was stacked. So we we didn't necessarily need any more time with him. He served his purpose, and and he 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 gave the intent. He created that conflict between Donlin and his crew, where it wasn't just Freddie. It was shit. We got IA breathing down our necks, and you know that guy's a cocksucker, sort of thing. Whoa. So you had you had the out that Freddie needed. He needed to go there, and we all we all did it. Like he was the middleman between it all. But he did serve his purpose. And, and when he was on screen, he did a great job because he presented himself in this way of he's being nice to these other cops, but he has so much dirt on him that he's like, I fucking know you, man. <laughs> like, I'll shake your hand, but I'm not going to like it sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, Bobby D is just one of the greatest actors ever. I absolutely love him and especially doing the whole gangster film kick. I, yeah, absolutely love the dude. But. Yeah, I think it was plenty, the, the 15 minutes. I didn't even realize that until you actually wrote this. I was like, wow, I that makes sense. <laughs> so. Yeah, when I, when I got the credits, I was like, fuck, I forgot he's barely in this movie. <laughs> so then I had to kind of rewatch it. I was just scrolling through and then I set a timer. Every time it was his scene, I made a note and then, uh, you know, hit the timer <laughs> to go. Uh, I say seven scenes, but the seventh scene is technically eight because they he's in his office and uh, Yul Brenner grabs him and says, hey, come on down to... Uh, you know, they're bringing in Babbage and then he yeah. goes out. But that's essentially one scene because he just leaves his office to go outside to, to meet Superboy. Right. But um, interesting. So uh, this movie is interesting in that the cops are the bad guys. They literally built a town to run things the way that they want without having to worry about accountability. They are out of the reach from the watchful eye of internal affairs. Now, during our Robocop episode, we were just talking about how films in the 80s and 90s portrayed internal affairs as the bad guys. I feel like this movie didn't sit well with many audience members. Do you think perhaps it was ahead of its time? It's just hard to say because you know, what 97 is when this came out. And I want to believe that, that people believed in our officers at that point. I mean, I know I, I didn't want to be a cop at that moment in my life, but as I got older, I did. And while this wasn't the first time we had something showing police corruption, especially in one of the biggest cities in the world, New York, you know, very much like a Serpico style situation. We've had films like that. And so I think it'd be incredibly ignorant to think that nothing was going on. I mean, I never would have thought something like this where they actually have a town where they can get away with all their shit. Like, that's pretty crazy. But it's... Looking at it now, it doesn't seem as fictional, but back in the 90s or the early 2000s, I don't know if people would have uh, been okay watching this or if they would have 
been on IA's side. So it, it easily could have been split. Um, it's too hard for me to say because I don't have a time machine, but I, I mean, I'm not, I'm a white male. You know, if I was a person of color, th- this shit would, I'd be like, dude, I see this all the time. So, you know, th- when they even pull over um, the African-American couple and they went like a few miles over the speed limit, um, you know, they say that like, this is racist, you're harassing us and stuff. We didn't really see a ton of that in, in film. Let me backtrack. We did see a lot of that in film, but um, I just don't know the impact it would have maybe had on like a, a white viewer because they probably just turned a blind eye to it, which is shitty. I mean, obviously, I'm re- very glad all these things are exposed now. And looking back at movies like Training Day, also, you're just like, holy shit. Right. Dude. So that was going to be my follow up. Like Training Day is different. You know, that was just a couple years later. That's like that's like three was years it later. Really? Yeah. Um, training I guess day. I was, yeah, I was like a freshman in high school. That was like 2001, yeah. I think. 2002, yes. maybe. Training Day came out in 2001. Yeah. Um, and then that's another movie to where you know uh, Denzel Washington is is a he's a badass in that movie, and we're following you know he's Alonzo, and we're following Jake, who's Ethan Hawke, another Ethan Hawke movie, and <laughs> and Ethan Hawke just won't play ball. You know, he's he's like, what am I getting myself into, and. And it's interesting because he is always the good guy in this movie, Ethan Hawke. And Denzel Washington is constantly doing things to undermine police authority. And he is a bad dude, right? And it's I, I found that movie so unsettling when I was watching it. You know, Training Day, that is. Mm-hmm. I was like, fuck, I hate watching this movie. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's a joyless film. It's really good, but it's just joyless. And I just remember thinking, fuck, this is like hardcore. And, and that's another movie to whereas... Like with Copland, I'm waiting for them to go down. In Training Day, I I was convinced he was going to get away with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was two interesting dynamics there, and and it's I, I watch Training Day like probably like every couple of years, and every time I watch it, like I, like I just get like heart palpitations with that movie. It movie stresses me out. It is stressful. I mean, th- you know, they did this kind of stuff too, where they're showing maybe the brutality of the police um, in in other earlier films, I mean, one that comes to mind is Colors, you know, with Robert Duvall and Sean Penn. You see that kind of stuff. So that was in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe people weren't ready to explore that because of the power that the police had. Um, So, yeah, it's hard for me to to sit inside an audience's, um, you know, seat and say, hey, who do you think is the villain in this? Like, obviously, retrospectively, I'm going to say IA is definitely the hero in it or they're Mm -hmm. not necessarily the hero, but they're like a good entity. Um, but yeah, with training day, you're like, Jesus, man, this is, there's so much anxiety that I have. I don't know who to, who to root for basically. Well, I but, know, I know. And so, and colors is interesting too. Have you seen colors by the uh, way? A long time ago. I don't remember anything about it. Okay. Though. So yeah, that is, that's one, that one's crazy too, because you know, he's a rookie cop that's on the streets with an old Robert Duvall. <laughs> I know. For the an old young Robert Duvall. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, they're tackling gang violence. Right. And this whole idea of they have to be tough because it's tough out there. And, you know, and they need to rid the streets of this crime and they're doing terrible things. And, uh, you know, I was directed by Dennis Hopper, who is, yeah. you know, he's he's an edgy, he's an edgy fella. And, uh, and that one is also directed. That one's hard to watch, too, but it's 80s hard to watch. So, like, it's different because it's hard to take that movie serious now. If, if, when you watched it, when it came out, it probably would have had an impact on you. But watching it in. 2022 you probably would laugh more than than anything else yeah i i think so i don't think it aged well yeah i agree so i mean to to answer your question yeah it's like i said i 
it's too hard for me to really say, but I I, I rooted for IA. I I, I want to say I rooted for IA, but I have no idea. <laughs> I have no I idea. There's a lot going on in this movie. I know. In fact, I'm just gonna. I have a question about that too. So, like, I'm gonna skip because it, it brings up an interesting point. So, Copland has several little subplots going on, and I'm curious if you think they were all necessary. Like, keep in mind it helps cement the corruption within the within Garrison city limits. But it's possible that some are lost on viewers. Vickis is a coked out cop that blows up his own house for insurance money. Uh, Ray runs a, runs drugs for the mob. Joey is sleeping with Ray's wife. Babbage fakes his death after killing two unarmed black men. And the list goes on and on and on. You know, not to mention Freddie saved Liz and is crazy in love with her. But she's married to Joey and has a kid with him. And I, I just think that there's a lot going on in this motion picture show. Um, but is it too much? Is it not enough? Or just right? And this might even answer the question why audience scores were a 67%. <laughs> and I'm just curious. Where, where do you land? Is it in, in the in the mama bear, papa bear, you know, baby bear sort of situation? All right, where does Goldilocks end up in this movie? So I don't think it's that it was that complicated to follow, but I'm also an above average movie watcher and I, I really liked all the different stuff working. I mean, that's why I love, you know, mob films and, uh, and other movies like that, because where some might see it convoluted, I'm like, oh man, all these, all these gears have to be in place for it to start working. Right. And I was fine with all the subplots. It made sense. I mean, it showed that none of them are good guys. They're all right. actually in on something like even, even figs, you know, he wanted to get out of town. He he was trying to escape, but from the start of the film, he got a bomb from Edie Falco and he blew up his own house. And like, you know, the result is he killed his girlfriend. I know it was an accident. He didn't know she was going to be there, but she's dead and he has to live with that. So it's like, these are bad people. And, and the one uh, not, not so subtle thing the film does at the end is if you were confused, they clear it up at the end and tell you like, oh, you know, this person was tied to this mob connection. And so that's why they're in prison now, too. And now he has these racketeering charges. And then same thing when uh, Sly Stallone opens up the garrison files. It has newspaper clippings, which this is like one of my least favorite tropes in films is when there's this like deus ex machina of newspaper clippings that explain exactly what's going on and fill in those holes. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's like hero cop saves the day and falls in love with a lady or something (laughs) like undercover cop exposed and all these dumb things. It's it's so stupid, but right. I, I think it was I think it was the proper amount of of subplot that worked for me, at least. But I again, that's I think you're right. That's probably why a lot of people were watching it and like the fuck. So, <laughs> the so I agree that <clears throat> as I was watching it, it's totally easy to keep up with. But when you were reading the synopsis, I know I was like, what the well, fuck is he even talking? <laughs> is this the that, movie that I yeah, watched? <laughs> that's so that that's not really fair because that's like trying to break down a Scorsese. That's like trying to write a synopsis for the Irishman. I'm like, dude, there's so much going on. Not only is that a long movie, there's just so much going on in it. And so, or Goodfellas, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's, it's not fair to, to base it off of that. Basically. Mm-hmm. It's uh on paper. It seems like a terrible idea, but when you're watching it, it plays out nicely. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. That's fair. So let's talk about Stallone. We both love his performance in Creed. He's obviously been acting for a long time. In fact, he had been in films for over 27 years when he did Copland. Uh, when that was in production, yeah, he had been filming for 27 years in motion picture shows. And then 46 years by the time Creed was released. Jeez. Do you think audiences took Stallone seriously in Copland? Also, now you didn't see it when it came out, though. So I don't know uh, if you would be 
privy to that because I remember seeing a lot of, uh, you know, criticism about Stallone when the movie came out. And and does his performance sit well with you or was he just another action star trying to branch out? Yeah, you're right. I, you know, I was 10 years old when, when that happened and I didn't see it in theaters. Um, I, I honestly think it's one of his best and most nuanced performances. I mean, he had up until then just all these acting roles, right? He tried his hand at comedy and it sucked, <laughs> but <laughs> he had he had all these action roles, I should say. Um, and that's how he was known. He was John Rambo. He was uh, Rocky Balboa. So to see him do something like this where you want him to just go rule ass and not get pushed over by an aging Harvey Keitel or the the T-1000, you know? You want mm-hmm. him to actually be Stallone and kick some ass, and he doesn't do it. And I think that's why it works so well, is he just looks like such a broken and beaten down man. And we are so uh, conditioned to see Stallone at this point to be this badass in muscles, right? It's mm-hmm. like when Arnold would do a role and, and you're like, why isn't he fighting back? What the hell is going on? It's it's different. We, we should be seeing it. So that's I think that's why it's so bittersweet not bittersweet. It's so great at the end when you see him rise up and do the right thing and have that awesome shootout towards the end. So um, it's not a typical Stallone's going to fire a thousand bullets into the house and kill, you know, 90 guys. It's 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 a lot different. He uses his tactics. And so um I think he's, you know, he's a really smart character in this, but he's just so timid. Um, But yeah, he nails it, man. I mean, Creed, kind of the same thing. You had this warrior who was at the height of his his career, but Rocky was was always that sweet person. And so we get that continuation from him. And I I honestly think Creed is his best performance he's ever had, but Copland is is, is definitely up there. And I mean, he should have won the uh, Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for Creed. That he was, every time he talks about um, putting all of his stuff into a box just so he could get to spend one more day with his wife. I always like weep at that moment in Creed. Mm-hmm. It's uh, very, very hard to watch. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I really enjoyed the hell out of it, man. I think he, he nailed the performance. All right. I think that's fair. But he's also, uh, the other thing too about it, like, he's the good guy. He He's like the one that we can root for, right? Are you and, talking about Freddy? Yeah, Freddy. Because... He, I know okay, that because I mean, because that's my next question. Is Freddie a good guy for is Freddie a good guy? Because from this, like, I guess ultimately, is he a good guy from the start or does he grow into that role? Keep in mind, mm. he steals from parking meters. He drives drunk. You know, he's irresponsible, gives a free pass to police officers, caught speeding, and he turns a blind eye to Babich uh, faking his death. So I guess my, my question is, is he a good guy from the start? Or, you know, or, or does he grow into that role? You might be rooting from him from start to finish, but is he a good guy from the start? Um, You know, IA came yeah. up to him and they were talking to him. They're like, hey, you know, I gave you, you know, you want to be a cop? I gave you a chance to be a cop and you blew it, right? He could have, he could have rolled over on them, but he chose not to. He chose to keep his mouth shut. He didn't say anything. You know, he was, he, he had an opportunity, as it were. Justin Bobby, uh, the thing about it is, you know, like if this if they made uh, the Copland two, it would end very quick because it would just be Freddie getting killed. Because when you're dealing with with uh, connected men like this who are connected to the mob, I mean, I, even though he's doing the right thing, I bet I bet they're going to be hunting for him the very next day. You can't just put away all those people without without others coming after you. And so I think he was in a tough situation. So if anything, I, I, maybe the film didn't relay that well enough. 
But as someone who had seen it already, I already kind of it, it changed my outlook on it. So if I were to watch it fresh, I don't know if I would root for him. But I mean, I think I would because he is down and out. And I mean, yeah, he breaks in. He steals some quarters and stuff to play pinball. He does drive drunk. That's like that's like 18 months it's, in, in, the, in the ISO cube. Yeah, it's you know, and, and, and that's that's not good. But he's also he's always wanted to be a cop. And they and everybody keeps saying that to him. They're like, you're not a cop, right? How, the fuck is he not? He's the sheriff. How is he not a cop? But it's this fake town of Garris, uh, Garrison where they don't obviously don't respect him. And the only way that he can tread water is by basically living at the, at their will at the, you know, their, what am I trying to say? Uh, basically following their orders kind of and, and appeasing them. And that's, that's his survival. That's what he's doing. So he's kind of in a, in a tough situation when Bobby D comes up to him and is like, I need you to talk. It's like, dude, I, Snitches get stitches. I can't. I can't rat out my friends. So, I. I don't know because that was his livelihood. He always wanted to be a cop. He didn't have anything else he he wanted to do. Right. Hmm. All right. I mean, if you're cool with him protecting these bad guys, then you know. <laughs> so I, I know, and and I mean, but he even like when he finds out that that figs you know, uh, burnt down his house and stuff. And he goes to investigate. He's like, why'd you do it? Right. You know, yeah. I didn't his, know his, his one true friend is also a crook. Yeah. And I think that was the, the, the tipping point for him too. I think maybe he took solace in the fact that, okay, look, I'll leave them alone. I won't do that. And I'll get to at least uphold the peace for this last 10 years. I've been, I've been the sheriff and I have a pretty good life for the most part, except the girl that I love and saved. And the reason I have one bad ear <laughs> doesn't love me. So, yeah, it is. It, it's very sad. And we're we're gravitated towards those kind of characters that seem tragic and seem lonely and sad. And so it's it's a bummer, you know. <laughs> there's there's something about the underdog that truly inspires <laughs> the unexceptional. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Robert California. Yeah. yeah, because I mean, Janine Garoppolo's character, she comes into town and she's ready to she's ready to, to serve some justice. And he's like, wait a minute now, just get back in the car. It's okay. We didn't know who they were and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, she she signed up to be a police officer to make a difference. Yeah. And she's in the wrong town, man. Yeah. She's going to go back to upstate New York. Yeah. Upstate. Upstate girls. <laughs> <laughs> They've been living in their garrison world. There you go. <laughs> so walk me through the shootout at the end and share your thoughts on how it was filmed. So Jack and Frank subdue Freddy. They blow out his eardrum and take Babbage and go. Oh, man. So, yeah, uh, I love it how they completely cut out the sound um, because this poor guy. I mean, that looks so brutal. I remember that was probably the most vivid thing I remember from this film is just seeing him screaming and all the blood going down his ear because I don't and know the if that's ringing too. the ringing yeah. sound. Yeah, that's cool. I don't know if that's what actually happens um, if someone were to do that, but that looked so goddamn painful. And it occurred to me when he because you lose your equilibrium like if you've ever plugged your ear or had something happen to your ear i don't know if that's happened to you you lose your equilibrium and so it's hard to, to, to do much so that's why i'm assuming he walked to the house where you know the other guys just drove off with babbage he ended up walking and getting there about the same time so i'm like how far do they live <laughs> but it was because of that of his of his his equilibrium his balance all that kind of stuff and seeing that final shootout was really nice because you don't really hear anything. You don't hear him racking the gun. Uh, you wouldn't be able to turn around and see somebody uh, coming from, you know, the fence side. That's why he gets shot in the shoulder. But 
it was a cool play where you get to see him down the first guy with his uh, with the shotgun. Then he drops the shotgun because it's jammed up, uses his revolver, sees him in the rearview mirror and actually has the whereabouts to jump out and shoot him and then or wherewithal to jump out and shoot him, then shoots T-1000, uh, shoots the other dude. Uh, goes in and then even the Harvey Keitel scene still was so quiet and you know Figs helps him out a little bit on that too but it was interesting to see and it was I'm glad that they did it and and put put us in that perspective of of uh what's his name Freddie and then when he takes in Babbage to Bobby D he still is on edge and he's still bloody it's like Jesus Christ get this guy a band-aid dude right. so um <laughs> right I, I like the cues that remind you that he's not able to hear like when you see the dog barking but you don't hear the dog barking i think that's great you, know, you mentioned the shotgun not being able to rack the shotgun uh then of course the humming sound uh when when ray liotta is trying to talk to freddie and let him know like hey dude i'm here for you um i really liked all that stuff I thought that was great and then at the end when he when he drops ray he's like can't hear you ray <laughs> yeah can't hear you, ray. <laughs> uh yeah I'm, I'm i'm definitely a big fan of films and i think they did this in dune but when they either muffle the sound or cut it off completely and mm-hmm. you kind of don't know what's going on i think that's so neat and it's uh especially if it's done well and i think they did a pretty good job for this one especially in 97 but yeah it it definitely changes the action scene it's it's not a big bang shoot em up uh, typical action scene we'd see but it's still very effective and and freddie gets his he gets his just desserts. Mm-hmm. I think one of my favorite uses of no sound is in the the Star Trek reboot at the beginning when the the Kelvin gets attacked and uh, people get blown out into space. And it's like noisy explosion, noisy explosion. And then it's just the quietness of space. Yeah, I that one's really so good. Cool. Yeah, I agree. A really good transition. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, Star yeah. Wars is fake. There's no sound in space. <laughs> Although in Last Jedi they do <clears throat> uh, silence during a, a battle when they yeah. when they take off, but that was about it. So, uh, yeah. I know. When it, I when like, it's Star Wars has all the pachu pachu sounds. Yeah. <laughs> pachu pachu. <laughs> when it's done well, though, it's yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's it, pretty cool. Pretty 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 cool. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was great. This 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 shootout scene was the culmination of everything that all the the built up anger that Freddie had, and you know. He gets no respect. He's the Rodney Dangerfield sheriff of that town. And so Mm -hmm. it was cool for him to stand up and do his own style of justice because, yeah, he could he could have ratted on them. But in Garrison, there are no rules, man. This is how this is Garrison justice. Yeah, he he took them out. (laughs) Sure. All right. I'm there. I'm, I'm here for it. So rank your top three Mangold films. Ooh, I do like James Mangold, and you said a lot of good ones. And so this was a bit harder than I thought, and I changed it about three times. But uh, I will go in order. So third favorite is Walk the Line. I really enjoyed that uh, film. I think that Reese Witherspoon is absolutely incredible for it. I believe she won an Oscar, and well-deservedly so. Same thing with Joaquin Phoenix. He was great in it. Uh, T-1000's also in that. He plays the dad. The wrong kid dad. So I... (laughs) Yeah. That's rough. Yeah, I know. I, I I knew nothing about Johnny Cash, but I remember watching this uh, with my family and I really liked it. So um, that one has always stuck with me as as one of my favorites of his Ford v. Ferrari is actually number two, which is his more recent one. But I love that film. I was I don't know anything about racing 
and seeing that was was so goddamn cool when he goes to Lamont and just completely destroys it was Lamont right Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he just Lamar, destro- and he destroys the record. I'm like, oh my god, I was I was in for it. Every little aspect of that of that course, like the pinpoint accuracy, how they filmed it, that was a an adrenaline ride for sure. And two amazing performances from from Damon and Bale. I thought it was so great. And yeah, Ford v Ferrari is is his second best. But then number one for me is Logan, um, just because I grew up with with Hugh Jackman. You know, 2001 was uh x-men right or 2000 was x-men 2000 2000 so he played he played logan for 17 years or however long that was and so to see it end this way and have this kind of send-off was so beautifully done i absolutely loved every minute of it and i thought it was fan freaking tastic i was livid i almost wrote to my congressman uh, that it wasn't nominated for for anything at the academy awards i was so pissed because it's it's one of the greatest comic book films of all time easily and absolutely loved it. But I would say at a fourth place, it's it's probably Copland um, identity. Like I said, I liked it, but it it sucked towards the second half. But yeah, Copland is probably four for me if I had to choose. But it's right on that cusp. What about you, though? Yeah, I would. So mine's similar. I would have Copland as number three, Ford v Ferrari as number two, and Logan as number one. Okay. So do you, did you enjoy Walk the Line, or did yeah, it not I mean, have it was a super okay. big impact on you? I, I am not a fan of biopics at all. That's just mm. not my jam. I'll watch them, and I'll sit through them, and I'll be like, oh my god. But <laughs> And I saw Walk the Line in the theater, and I knew it was going to be like the, the biggest hotness of that year. <laughs> And um, I mean, I, I, I probably know maybe 10 Johnny Cash songs, you know, um, but uh, yeah, I, I can appreciate that it was good. It's just not my not my jam. Yeah. And that's as fair. It were. Yeah, that it's and, and like I had Copland as my three for a while, but then I realized I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot about Walk the Line. I love that movie. I absolutely loved it. I used to watch it all the time and I'm a big Joaquin fan. So mm-hmm. it's uh it's hard. I mean, it maybe more viewings of Copland will change my mind, but I, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. So Copland was my first Mangold film and, um, I, I love it a lot. I, I really enjoy this movie and I, and I, I struggle. I kind of had a moment <laughs> of clarity when I was trying to argue cable guy and just saying, yo, I was making the point about Jim Carrey fans went to see a movie and expecting to see one thing and they got something else. And then there's obviously those other people that just hate Jim Carrey as it is. And so it had a lot going against it. But I never considered the possibility that it's not a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel bad about that. I didn't bring that up. And it didn't even occur to me until like yesterday. And I was like, man, I guess I probably should have said that it's possible the movie's just not good. I really enjoy (laughs) it. But um, it got me thinking. And so... I can, while I love Copland and think it's great, when you were reading that synopsis, I was just like, fuck, that's a pretty big ass to make people understand what is happening in this movie. Obviously, when you watch it, it plays out and it's it's all there for you, but you know, it's served up nicely, but just reading it, I was just like, fuck, this movie is complicated. <laughs> There's a lot of he said, she said in this movie, yeah. and uh, it's complicated. And so uh, I can... 
I am okay knowing that there are people out there that don't like this movie. I, I think it's really good. I really enjoy it. I don't even have a problem with Janine Garoppolo. I, I, I like the character. I like the idea of, of not only this person wanting to be an honest police officer, they're also a woman. And so right. it's kind of a, it's a double dipping in the, in the, the hard to be a cop department. <laughs> so, I could have seen, I mean, and maybe that's just what they could afford, but I could have seen like Sandra Bullock doing that. So someone of, of, of that caliber, cause I would have, it would have been more believable. And maybe again, this goes, this is topical to what we're talking about. I'm used to seeing Jean Garoppolo in like comedies. Comedy, so, right. so I think they wanted her actually. And Sandra she Bullock? said, yeah, no, they wanted Janine Garoppolo. And she said oh. no, but then they're like, well, um, Mangle is going to, you know, he's, he's actually going to direct it too. And then she was like, oh, well, if that's the case, then I'll, I'll do it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is it Garoppolo or Garoppolo? Um, I think it's Garoppolo. Potato, potato. <laughs> well, well, because so tomato, J- tomato. J- Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo is a quarterback for the Niners. And it's I always Garoppolo. call him, yeah, I always call him Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or I right. call him Janine Garoppolo. <laughs> yeah. So. He's a PH, right? And she's a F-A-L-O. Yes. Yeah. 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 She's so, Garoppolo. Well, interesting. I'm glad that I mean, I guess I'm glad that she took it, but it's it's one of those things for me that it just didn't really do anything. Um, but yeah, you know, teach their own. If, if it enhances the story for some, then who am I to say that they're wrong? Right. I mean, it's fine. But uh, you mentioned a number four. I would probably have 310 to Yuma as my number four. I um, thought about that one, too, but I, I, I like it. Three, more, I, yeah. I liked it more after watching it this most recent time because we did it on the show. Mm hmm. Um, I remember liking it in the theater and but I hadn't seen it since, you know, it wasn't one of those movies that I went out and watched again. And um, I always joke that audio, that Westerns are a tough sell for me, but I like so many. Of them. I know. <laughs> so yeah. but I mean, there's there's got to be 3000 Western films made and I like 10. So, I mean, as the numbers go, I don't like Westerns, but <laughs> I can name 10 right now that I really, really enjoy. So. Uh, the wild I'll, bunch <laughs> i'll take it yeah wild bunch, wild bunch and, is good. And young guns <laughs> young guns too <laughs> <laughs> young guns too man put bon jovi in a cowboy hat and leather pants and, uh, and nothing and, else and bad girls and bad girls too <laughs> oh yeah sure let's do it yeah tombstone yeah that's a good one goodness and then you love Ooh. maverick its counterpart so. i don't think that is accurate <laughs> i know uh yeah i I wasn't I wasn't bored by this plot. I really enjoyed it. And uh, that's just from somebody who likes the James Mangold films and likes the more confusing plots, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Because you know everything about what you, what'd you say. <laughs> <laughs> I can keep up with movies or I I, said something like that. <laughs> I'm the above average movie watcher. I can uh, I can keep up with films in, in a certain level uh, or in a certain way. No, I mean, I think we are. I think you and I are definitely we. And that's not, not because we have a podcast and we're not pretentious by saying I'm, that. It's, I'm it's, an idiot. I don't know anything. <laughs> we just watch. We just watch a lot of dumb shit. And, and I think that we film needs more to us. And I'll speak for myself. I mean, f- film is very important for me. And so when I look at something or how I do when I watch my video breakdowns, it just makes more sense to me. And I, I gain new knowledge on, on how to view film. So that's why I say the, the average movie goer, the above average. movie. Sure. I, I just like, I think it's interesting that we have to watch. I mean, I don't really watch them, but you watch movie breakdowns to get more out of it because it didn't translate watching it on screen. You know, when you go see a movie yeah. in the theater, you don't have the subtitles, you're watching it the way, the director wanted you to watch it and you might miss some stuff. And then luckily there's 
clever people out there that take the time to break this shit down and and explore theories and get your mind going. But like Tenet, for example, I had <laughs> yeah. no fucking clue. What was, I mean, I could I predicted what was happening, but I had no idea what was going on. I was right. able to to have to piece together the breadcrumbs, but I still had no idea what the fuck the movie was and why it was the way that it was. And I'm like, if I have to watch it with subtitles and I have to watch these <laughs> breakdown videos, then this movie failed mm-hmm. in trying to show me what it was supposed to be. That's how I look at it. I look at it as a failure in storytelling as opposed to um, some genius level thing that I just don't get. It's like if you're going to open up the movie theater to all of the world to go watch your movie and one percent of the human beings that watch it get it, then maybe you did something wrong. (laughs) I don't know. That's just that's just my take on it. But maybe it's wrong. I don't know. But uh, I do think that that is interesting and something to think about. Totally. I mean, there's different, you know, different different strokes for different folks, and that goes with film too. You have your popcorn films, you have your movies that are very linear, and then you have your ones that are way more complex. And a lot of people will complain, like, oh, they're, you know, these are just carbon copy films, and I'm so bored of these. But when someone does do a new thing, like, so for example, The Power of the Dog that I watched, I understood what was going on and I got it. It didn't sit well with me. So me watching a video is more to reaffirm either my beliefs or see it in a different light. And I mean, that's essentially my goal with this podcast is just to shed new light or or maybe retread some things that people thought about a film or have that affirmation for them to be like, that's exactly what I was thinking about for Copland. Janine Garofalo sucked. So right. <laughs> no, she did not suck. But what I'm saying. Um, so that's why I like the breakdowns that can help. But I mean, I agree with you in the tenant thing. I I was like, I had subtitles on at home and I'm like, wait, wait, hang on. I had to pause it. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Wait, why is this airplane over here? How does that, how does that tie into anything? So watching the breakdowns, it helps. Cause I was like, cool. That's what I thought in theater. So I'm glad I'm not crazy. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, it's, it's just something fun. I like to do, right? It's like when you get a new pair of shoes, you want to go for a run with them. So. Sure. You don't I mean, keep a Ferrari in the no, garage. Exactly. <laughs> Did Ask, you read? Uh, did you read the book of uh, Power of the Dog by chance, or did you just see the movie? I saw the movie. Um, and uh, see, I didn't even know it was based on a book. I just uh, I saw it on Netflix. I had a ninety eight percent match with me, so clearly Netflix knows me. <laughs> and I I watched it. I also heard a couple things about it, so I watched it, and there were fantastic performances. Again, composition of the film was just absolutely gorgeous and amazing. I just was not super happy with the story, and I just was kind of bummed and upset and whatever but at the end of the day i understand it and i appreciate it and it was it was very well made you're like where's the strong dog i keep hearing about i know (laughs) what kind of powers are we talking about here lightning bolts or invisibility or what kind of power (laughs) a little misleading on the title there (laughs) yeah i didn't want to watch uh cumberbatch farming in some middle of nowhere place yeah Why do they always get uh, like European people to play farmers? See, like Liam Neeson would be a farmer. He'd be like, "We have to go over the mountains for the for the farlows." And I'm well, like, you got to figure accent. the <laughs> amount of immigration that was happening in that era and people coming out west. I think it makes sense. Manifest destiny. There you go. Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, 
<laughs> Y'all got to come from somewhere. <laughs> we didn't uh, lose the accent. They come from the storks, Justin. <laughs> storks bring babies. I didn't know if you know that. You are a father, so I don't. Sure. I can't believe you don't know that. Have you ever seen Far and Away by chance with Tom, uh, the Tom Cruise, Cruise, Tom Cruise and Nicole, and Nicole Kidman. Kidman there? Uh, yeah. Long, long time ago, I saw bits and pieces of it in like history class, but I have not. She's sure. a nurse, right? During like they're, they're doing like the land rush, and they got to claim their their land, mm-hmm. as it were. And he's he's an Irish fella. And yeah. He's, Got a hat. <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> well, uh, I'll die on that hill. That is not a that is not a good movie. But uh, anyway, I don't even know where I was going with that. Oh, immigration. That's where I was going with it. Um, yeah, there tends to be a lot of like uh, like uh, the white folks in the movies in that that take place in that era are tend to be like Irish. Mm-hmm. I yeah. can see that. Yeah, that's where I was going. I mean, I have an example of that. <laughs> Not a whole lot to back that one up, but totally. the perception is there that it is an Irish immigrant uh, or you know an Italian American or something like that uh, tends yeah. to be where it boils down to. But um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Copland. It is currently streaming on HBO Max. If you got time, check it out. Uh, I think it's a good one. I will stand by that one. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on this movie? Uh, awesome. what, what, do you, what letter grade do you give it? Awesome cast. Uh, definitely check it out if you haven't. It's it's a good one. I really enjoyed it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, so this is a uh, A minus for me. And it's it's crazy because those other three are A's like uh, that I said. And 310 Yuma, I think I give it a B plus. I'm not sure. Or maybe an A minus. But Mangold just knows how to make a goddamn movie. He's he's awesome. He's a he, he's a gangsta. So and your order remind me again, your order was, was uh, walk Lo- the line. That's three, uh, two, one. Yeah. Yeah. Walk the line. Ford v. Ferrari. Then Logan is number one. Right. Yep. Exactly. So all right. I just remember watching all of those and just having this giddiness about me and how it impacted me. 310 to Yuma just did not do that necessarily in theaters for me. And I didn't see Copland in theaters. But again, those can those can change a bit. I think it's the power of the Mangold films. Mm-hmm. Like night and day. Yeah, and exactly. Your Kate favorite. Leopold. <laughs> yeah, your second favorite. I like that movie. <laughs> and then Girl Interrupted. So. You know, I've never seen Girl Interrupted. I saw it a long time ago, again, via Netflix, and I don't remember a thing about it, other than Angelina Jolie being in it. Yeah, and the Winona writer. Yep. Yeah, and the Winona. She was talking about shoving the, the thing in her jugular mm-hmm. in the yeah. trailer. Yeah, I couldn't get into it. That no. was when... um. Angela Jolie was like a little crazy town banana pants and she was like dating her like half brother or stepbrother or something like that and had like a vial of blood around her neck and it's weird man kind of weird yeah <laughs> you do you but I just remember thinking ah, I don't get it <laughs> yeah <laughs> who versus <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't understand yeah so there you have it um okay well, that's great what about you uh yeah I think I give this movie an A minus as well uh, I really enjoy it I think it's a lot of fun um in in the vein of of justin liking his his mob movies this is very much a mob movie to me you mentioned western i can see that especially with the end with like sort of the 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 shootout at the okay corral kind of thing i definitely get like a western vibe at the very end when he's got to go bring his prisoner in and um yeah i, I dig it man I, i'm here for it start to finish i really really enjoy it so cool. yeah, yeah absolutely man cool cool well that was fun it was. I had a good time. I know. We got to talk the about Copland. the Copland. Yeah. <laughs> Goddamn cops. So, 
Um, cool. Let me let me uh, let me round this out then. So, uh, muchas gracias. Thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on wait. on Twitter <laughs> at dbcrazypod. Uh, Justin is at edgy armo, and Zach is at zachdale60. Those are Twitter handles. See, you can share your thoughts with us, and we will discuss them on our show. You can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode and let us know why it should be Nacho Libre. Because that what? is also streaming. I love Nacho Libre. A lot of people don't like it. It's uh, a Jared Hess film. It's like Napoleon Dynamite. So. I know. <laughs> it's like Napoleon Dynamite without Napoleon. I love it. I love Jack Black, too. He's like, Chancho, bring me some sweats. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. Uh, you wouldn't get it. I don't. <laughs> make, make, make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. And please, please leave us a five-star review if you like it. Additionally, we are also available on every other major podcast app like Spotify, Amazon Podcasts. Can I help you? (laughs) (laughs) The way you said like it, it reminded me of you bought Prapples in the toilet. And And you you liked liked it. it. (laughs) Good old Sandlot. Uh, please also be sure to check out the Geek Legacy podcast with David, Randy, and Justin. Might come out That's when Indiana nice. Jones Five comes out. <laughs> so. Randy's shooting. We're down a guy. He'll be uh, done in a week. We'll be back in so, a week. Just please don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>